It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to the postseason edition of the Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm in downtown Providence with Bill Koch, Red Sox writer. How you doing, Bill? Bill, I'm great. How are you? Good, good. So this is kind of odd because uh, the Red Sox aren't playing for almost a week here. So we have to uh, figure out how to uh, fill some uh, newspaper pages, some website pages, and the Twin Bills podcast. But fortunately, we have, uh, we have some brilliant ideas, thanks, thanks to you. Uh, <laughs> I won't take any credit for those. I, I certainly uh, am rarely accused of being brilliant, but I uh, thank you for the compliment. Right, right. So uh, let's start by, uh, first of all, uh, looking at the schedule here, uh, the Red Sox will open play on Friday. Uh, I believe it's that's a night game. They uh, haven't announced it yet, but it stands to reason. My gut is going to say it says it's going to be the night game. But you're right; we don't know for at, sure. Being at Fenway Park, and especially if they do end up playing the Yankees, the Yanks, you would yeah. have to think that that's going to be a primetime game, right? Um, the Yankees and the Oakland A's play on Wednesday to decide uh, who comes to Fenway Park. That game will be at Yankee Stadium. That game is a night game. Yes. Uh, that's an 8 o'clock game, but uh, yeah, you're right. We don't know officially about the Red Sox yet. And as we are recording this, uh, there were two Game 163s today. Mm. Or, well, there there was one, and then there's, there's going to be one more that's uh, starting at 4. Uh, the early game saw the Milwaukee Brewers beat the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and then we have the Colorado Rockies and the Dodgers later on, and, and then... The winners of those two teams face each other in the NL wild card game. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? No, it's crazy. Uh, you know, as we said all year, all the good races were in the National League. The American League, you sort of got the feeling that the playoff places were almost predetermined by the All Star break. Uh, you had teams separate themselves. You had three teams win a hundred games: the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros. Uh, but in the NL, you had some really good races: uh, the Dodgers and the Rockies tied in the NL West. The Brewers and the Cubs tied in the NL Central. Uh, the losers of those two games, it'll be the Cubs against the loser of Rockies Dodgers, will play in a wild card. The winners get the luxury of a five game series. And, you know, as Alex Cora said throughout the year, winning the division gets us five shots instead of just one. That's the goal. That's the huge benefit. Right. The Brewers will enjoy that, and we'll see uh, who joins them, whether it be uh, Colorado or Los Angeles. Right. And thank you for correcting me. You're right. It's the losers that play the wild card, uh, and then the winners uh, get to uh, play the five-game series. Uh, so uh, let's look at the Red Sox five-game series, uh, and more specifically, let's look at the roster that the Red Sox are going to roll out there on Friday at Fenway Park when they host either the uh, Oakland Athletics or the uh, New York Yankees. Uh, You had a story in today's Providence Journal uh, with your best guess as to who's going to be on the Red Sox roster. And I have to say there there really wasn't much drama, at least when I read it, and I sort of agreed with with your picks. you know, Avaldi and Erod are on the uh, on the pitching staff, but not among the starting three. You'll have uh, Porcello, Price, and obviously Chris Sale. Uh, what were the hard parts for you picking the uh, picking the pitching staff? Uh, in terms of the staff, I, I felt like you know maybe the first nine guys were pretty obvious. Um, Chris Sale is going to start Game One. David Price is going to start Game Two. Rick Porcello is going to start Game Three. Um, depending on who they face, 
Uh, if you're up against the Yankees, you've probably seen Nathan Evaldi in Game 4. Uh, his three starts against New York with Boston, 16 innings, no earned runs allowed. Uh, so I know that they'll like that matchup. Uh, in Yankee Stadium last time, you saw Eduardo Rodriguez really struggle. Um, you know, didn't get out of the fourth inning. That was a game that the Red Sox ultimately ended up winning and clinching the American League East, but they needed 11 runs to do it. Um, you know, but I, I certainly think that those five guys are, are going to be there. There's no question about that. Uh, the bullpen, the relievers, uh, took six of them, started at the back with Craig Kimbrell, Matt Barnes, and Ryan Brazier. I, I think those are probably the three short guys that, that they'll trust the most. Uh, I think Stephen Wright earned himself a role in this bullpen not only with the way he pitched in Yankee Stadium in that clinching game, but the fact that he gives something a little different with that knuckleball. And and the scenario that I proposed in my story from Monday's journal is you could imagine Chris Sale starting, Stephen Wright maybe pitching the seventh inning or the eighth inning, and then going to Craig Kimbrell. Uh, and, And pitching is disrupting timing. How much more could you disrupt timing throwing a knuckleballer between two guys who are pushing 100 miles an hour. Um, The back two spots really were a a difficult choice. Uh, And it's not because those guys have pitched well. It's because most of them have struggled. Uh, I ultimately selected Heath Hembry because he's got the fourth highest strikeout rate on the team at 11.4 hitters per nine innings. I feel like strikeouts play in the postseason. You want to limit contact. Uh, And then the last guy for me was Brandon Workman, uh, and that's probably because he's the only guy in that clubhouse on the pitching staff who has a World Series ring. And I know that's something that Alex Cora has talked about throughout the season. He cited that. uh, He's used Workman as an example, uh, used him as a motivator for the rest of the guys on the staff. Um, You know, the other guys I considered uh, were Joe Kelly, who I just don't think has been good enough in September, and and you can't really trust him at any point. Uh, Bobby Pointer, I I like the fact that he doesn't walk guys. Uh, I don't like the fact that he gives up home runs, and he's done that uh, fairly frequently in the last two weeks, and, and that's something that you would be afraid of. Uh, in the postseason. The the other two guys really who you would consider would be Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez, and, and I think you might see one of them in a seven-game series, uh, only because if you have a game that gets really out of hand one way or the other, those guys could eat up three or four innings in a game and save the rest of your arms for a day. But in terms of a five-game series, it, it's a little bit more of a sprint than a marathon, so I elected to pick shortish relievers among my six guys. Yeah, and I think the fact that you have Evaldi and Rodriguez uh, uh, on the uh, on the uh, staff or in the bullpen, I think, goes a long way because those are two power arms, one from the right, one from the left, uh, that could probably come in and give you uh, some, some good matchup possibilities. And uh, I agree with you, like, the last two spots there in the bullpen, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it probably is Heath Embry and Workman. It's probably not Joe Kelly. It's probably not Tyler Thornburg. It's probably not... Uh, uh, give me another name, Drew Pomerantz. Definitely not Drew Pomerantz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bobby Pointer. You know, uh, but the the fact is, you're probably not going to see those guys uh, if the if the game is in the sort of you know if it's hanging in the balance. No, no. You know, you, you're going to see them if there's there's a big lead or if they're trailing by a lot. You don't want to eat up the bullpen. That's right. Uh, so let's switch over to the uh, to the batters uh, for a moment here, and uh, so just to just a quick rundown here. So as you're, you're starting nine, you have Sandy Leone as the catcher, Moreland at first. You have Brock Holt, uh, Xander Borgarts, Devers, Andrew Benintendi, 
Jackie Bradley Jr., Mookie Betts, and J.D. Martinez. Now, obviously, that's nine position players. One of them won't be on the field because you'll have a pitcher. Which which one of these guys won't be on the field? A Martinez will be the DH, and, okay. and I think... Uh, you- the only way that you're going to see that change, I think, is if you face a left-handed pitcher, you want to play Mookie Betts in center field, mm-hmm. Martinez in right field, and maybe get an extra right-handed bat, whether that's Steve Pierce, um, probably in the in the DH spot. But I, I think for the most part, that's probably your strongest lineup with Martinez as the DH because your outfield defense is infinitely better. And uh, you also have Ian Kinsler on the bench, and you've opted for for Brock Holt. So, so take us through that. Uh, I had three legitimate positions that that I was questioning. Um, catcher being one of them, uh, I opted for Sandy Leone as a starter, only because all three guys behind the plate have, have sort of been. Uh, struggling Mm -hmm. throughout the year. They had the lowest catcher's OPS in baseball by a lot. Uh, So at that point, you salvage what you can and you do it on defense. Sandy Leone had the best catcher's ERA out of that group. Uh, Feel like he handles the pitching staff pretty well, in particular Sale and and Porcello. Um, So you try to salvage what you can out of that position on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, At second base, Brock Holt's on an 11-game hitting streak and you know has four home runs in the last two weeks of the season. Uh, I think at that point, you just need to ride the hot hand. Um, you know, I, I think he's adequate defensively. Uh, this isn't a situation where you're playing Eduardo Nunez at second base sort of out of position. Mm-hmm. I think Holt can make routine plays there. You need to give him at least three at-bats in a night, and, and then maybe if you have the lead, you go to Kinsler late uh, for defense. Or if you're facing a tough left-handed pitcher, maybe you go to Kinsler as well. Uh, and then third base was the other place where I had a decision Uh, I feel like Rafael Devers is the pick there for two reasons first the pop that he gives you Um, the fact that he can homer and change a game Alex Cora was in Houston last year as a bench coach the Astros hit 27 home runs in the postseason those swings can really change a game especially with men on base and I think Devers has a little bit of a postseason track record at the plate he was decent last year the the occasion wasn't too big for him Um, you know and I don't think Eduardo Nunez has played enough here down the stretch. Uh, he's only played three games in the last two weeks. Um, he's battling you know, left hamstring soreness, uh, right knee soreness. Uh, and I just think that Devers at his best is probably better than Nunez, uh, a diminished, you know, somewhat diminished version of Nunez. Um, of course, both of them are going to give you difficulties at third base. Devers is prone to the odd error. Nunez doesn't have great range. But just trying to balance all those things together, I think that uh, that Devers is probably your better option. Yeah, I would agree. I think, and we talked about this last time on the podcast, having having Devers as bat in there in the postseason when you're facing really good pitching and it tends to be colder and the ball doesn't tend to carry as much, having that pop uh, can, can definitely change a game and it can even change a series. Uh, so on the bench, that leaves uh, Vasquez, Blake Swihart, Steve Pierce, Kinsler, and Eduardo Nunez. So um, I'm interested in the three-catcher um, situation. That's That's been sort of one of the questions. Will Cora carry three catchers? Uh, I think he will. You think he will. Um, do you think they need to in a, th- a five-game series? Uh, I think it acknowledges two things. First, that Sandy Leone is just really struggling at the plate. Right. Uh, and if you get into a situation in the sixth or seventh inning where the catching spot might still have two at-bats, uh, 
you're going to want to pinch hit for him if, if you have a chance with a couple guys on base. Um, the sure hand behind the plate is Christian Vasquez. You, he's your secondary receiver. You'd like to see him back there. And, Sw- and Blake Swihart is a catcher. Yes, that's how he's listed on the roster, but he gives you much more than that. He's probably the best pinch runner out of that group. Uh, you know, if you take Kinsler out, if he does end up starting. Swihart's got some legitimate speed as a, as a mid-20s guy who hasn't caught a ton. He's still athletic enough. He can also play multiple positions. He he could be a utility guy off the bench. He's played both corner outfield spots. He's played first base. Uh, he could go to any of those in a pinch if you're later in a game and you've had to pinch run and you've had to pinch hit a few times. Um, so I think that you need to carry both of those guys. Pierce is obviously there to face left-handed pitching, particularly against the Yankees. He's got six career home runs off J.A. Happ. He's 12 for 38 career against C.C. Sabathia if he happens to face him. Uh, if they do end up with New York in the division series, he could be in more of a timeshare with Mitch Moreland than a strict bench role. Uh, I would expect him to start against both of those lefties. Uh, and then Ian Kinsler, Eduardo Nunez, Brock Holt, Raphael Devers, if you take them as a group, the second baseman and the third baseman, they give you options in terms of two right-handed hitters, two left-handed hitters, two better defenders compared to two other guys who aren't quite as good, two guys who run reasonably well uh, as opposed to two other guys who, who kind of don't. Um, you know, And that would give Alex Cora the freedom with those four guys to sort of match up against opposing pitchers and match up in terms of scenarios, whether it's a tight, low-scoring game late uh, where he feels like he needs a base hit, or if it's a tie game and he wants to try and untie it with one swing. So I, I think they do have a, a reasonable amount of versatility among the 14 position players that, who I think they'll take. Uh, so let's uh, switch uh, for a minute here and look at the uh, Red Sox opponents uh, on Friday. Obviously, it's either going to be the New York Yankees or the uh, Oakland A's. Uh, neither team is a pushover by any means. Obviously, the Yankees, no. the Yankees won 100 games this year. Yeah. And uh, the Oakland A's won, I believe, 97 games this year. Uh, so if you, were a, uh, if you were a Red Sox fan... Um, would you rather see the Yankees rolling into town on Friday, or would you rather see the Oakland A's? No, I'd much rather see the A's, uh, and and I don't really think it's that close, honestly. Uh, I think the Yankees are a very dangerous team, mm-hmm. um, you know, and especially with their lineup in that ballpark at Yankee Stadium, they they are a very difficult proposition. Uh, they do a couple things that that really play in the postseason. They hit home runs and they strike people out. Right. Um, you know, they have a deep bullpen and a lineup that is really difficult to pitch to, especially if you're left-handed. Uh, and I think that you know, with the Red Sox starting at least two lefties in the first two games, um, it's good for them that those two will be at Fenway Park. Right. Uh, Chris Sale and David Price can use the outside part of the plate. Ideally, your right-handed hitters are going to hit fly balls to right field, which is the big field at Fenway. you got Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley out there who can turn those into outs. Um but it's a very difficult proposition playing them at Yankee Stadium in the postseason. I mean, we've seen it down the years, and even last year when the Yankees made the American League Championship Series. Um, right. it's, that's just a very good team, uh, you know, very confident team, determined team. Uh, the A's, in my mind, they're just so thin in terms of starting pitching um, that I would much rather see them. You, you look at how they started the year. Um, 
Jarrell Cotton, who was going to be in their rotation, had Tommy John surgery, didn't pitch a game. Kendall Graveman had Tommy John surgery. He's out for the year. Sean Manaya, who beat you twice mm. in six games, had shoulder surgery, and he will not pitch in the postseason. Uh, so they're very much diminished in, in that area. You know, you're down to veteran guys, sort of journeyman types like Trevor Cahill or Edwin Jackson, uh, Brett Anderson, the left-hander. Those are really, and, and Mike Fires, who they picked up at the trade deadline. Um, those are sort of very pedestrian journeyman starters that you feel like the Red Sox lineup would be able to handle. Mm. Now, Oakland has a really deep bullpen, uh, obviously headed by Blake Trinan, who is just nasty uh, as a closer. Lou Trevino is really good. Uh, they picked up Jerry's Familia at the trade deadline from the Mets. Uh, they have Fernando Rodney out there, the ageless one at 41 years old. Um, they also picked up Sean Kelly. Uh, but I just, if I was Boston, I would take my chances against Oakland, against that staff. I, I feel like that you would be able to outscore them before they'd be able to hurt you enough mm. at the plate on the other side. Yeah, that that's probably true. I, I would say that as a Red Sox fan, I would I would. Uh I would rather see the A's come to town as well. Yeah, but I would also say, as a baseball fan, you kind of want to see the Yankees. You want the don't drama, you? sure, because it, it's it's a rare treat, and, and we spent a, a good amount of time on this on a previous podcast. But it's a rare treat to get Yankees, Red Sox, and the postseason. Of course, because it just you know certain things have to happen. And this is this year, both teams were good. Both teams got into the postseason, and the way the matchups fall, you know, they, they'll uh, they'll play each other if the Yankees can get by the uh, the A's. But uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I think if you're a Red Sox fan, you you like the Oakland matchup because, uh, as you said, the pitching is beat up a little bit, uh, and the Yankees do have you know a fearsome lineup. You know, judges back in the back in the uh, in the lineup, and Gary Sanchez. Uh, Hit, hit a bomb or two this last series. Yeah, and, he homered. And then obviously you still have Stanton and and everyone else that uh, that they can roll out there. So, uh, but you know, as a fan, those 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 series are just fun to watch. So uh, we'll see the the winner of of the ALDS uh, between the Red Sox and either Yankees or A's will face the uh, winner of the Houston Astros Cleveland Indians. Uh, series Th- that's going to be quite a series as well, isn't it? I agree. I, I agree. I, those two teams are very, very yeah. good. Uh, yeah. You know, having seen them both recently, actually, Houston coming in here and, and Boston going to Cleveland uh, within the last month. Um, you wonder how Trevor Bauer is going to be for Cleveland. Uh, he was out for quite a bit. He squashed in a couple starts uh, late in the year, but but he's not what he was through August, uh, where he was just a dominant right-handed pitcher. Uh, the Indians have four guys who struck out 200 this year. They're the first major league staff in history to have four pitchers with 200 strikeouts. And then obviously Houston, the defending champs, um, you know their lineup is just relentless, does not quit. Uh, they also have great starting pitching, whether it's Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole or Charlie Morton, Lance McCullers. Um, just really, really tough power guys from the right side. So that series, I would expect to go five games. And, and I think you know, those two teams are, are really going to extend each other. Uh, if you're the Sox and you're a fan of the Sox, you're hoping you get the A's, you might be able to get them out of there early and watch Cleveland and Houston beat each other up before they come to you. I think you're lucky that, that you don't have to 
face both of those teams if you advance. Absolutely. <laughs> right? You only have no, to face one of them. There's no question. The, the team in that series that comes out got the way tougher draw. Yeah. No yeah. question. Absolutely. And uh, as we've said before, you know, you, you, you would tend to pick the Astros in a Red Sox-Astros uh, head-to-head matchup in terms of who, get, who you think would get the advantage. I think Houston's very good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Boston would, would have a hard time with them. I think that's probably, from what I've seen this year, I think Houston 1-25 to might be the only team talent-wise that can compare with Boston. I, I really believe that. I, I think the Red Sox, in terms of their top-end players, whether it be Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Chris Sale, I'll put those guys up against anyone. Uh, they've had depth and contributions from everybody. Uh, I think Houston is probably the team that is most like them uh, and probably has the edge at a couple key positions when you look at second base, third base. Uh, maybe they have one extra starter who, who might be a little bit more of a lock in a series or you might feel better about mm-hmm. in a series. Uh, but I, I think that would be very, very close. And, and you know you could see six or seven games between Boston and Houston in American League Championship Series. I, I think it really could be a classic. I think so too. Yeah, and I think uh, you know Boston, having uh, been bounced by the Astros uh, last uh, last year, um, you know has something to sort of settle up here with, and and they're coming back to the postseason. I think with a better team, the Red Sox are. So uh, I think that would be a great series. But you know, first things first, you have to get get by either the Yankees or the A's. Right. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's right. We can get to that at some point. We have plenty of time for. Well, let's hope we do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It would be. Uh, it would be really disappointing if if the Red Sox just uh, flamed out here in the first in the first postseason series. No question. Yeah, be the third year in a row. It can't happen, right? Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, as you know, Bill, the uh, Major League Baseball hands out its awards for things like uh, MVP and Rookie of the Year and Cy Young uh, after the World Series is done. But the voting on these awards is done now before the postseason starts. So we're going to do a kind of our own mini version of the uh, of the uh, baseball awards by looking at who you think the favorites are for uh, MVP, Cy Young, um, Rookie of the Year, and uh, Manager. Sure. So let's start with MVP. I vote for Mookie Betts. Uh, I second that. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> right. Well, let's uh, let's add some context here. Uh, obviously, there was a discussion that uh, you know uh, JD Martinez was in the running for some time, but mm-hmm. he has sort of fallen off. Not that he's gone into this huge slump, but um, he's sort of fallen off. And Mookie Betts has not. And obviously, Mookie brings uh, great defense and speed to the table as well. Uh, who are the other contenders, you think, in the uh, American League? Well, just, just to address that a little bit, mm-hmm. Betts gets rewarded because he's an all-around player, and Martinez gets dinged because he only plays half the game as a designated <laughs> hitter. Right. Fairly or unfairly, uh, that affects his overall value and, and would affect the perception of voters. Well, that's that's true, but I, I, you know, if he had kept on that pace, which is probably you know unrealistic, but you know, I, I still think that he would have been a legitimate. MVP candidate because he really kind of transformed that whole lineup. I, I certainly think that he would have been worthy of votes, yeah. um, and I think he might have gotten some, um, you know, but maybe probably not enough to, to overtake someone like Betts, uh, you know, who just all around has probably been the best player in baseball this year. Um, other contenders in the American League, obviously, Mike Trout is is there every year, every year, right? Uh, you know, and is just doing phenomenal things in terms of. 
what he produces annually, what he's produced before age 27. It, it's remarkable. He's in the midst of one of the great careers of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he does this for another seven or eight years, he's going to be on a, a very short exclusive list. Um, you know, other guys in the American League, you look at Matt Chapman, the third baseman for the A's, uh, another guy who gets big value out of his defense. He, he's very good. Uh, in that spot for Oakland. Um, the duo from Cleveland, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, uh, both wonderful players. Sure. Uh, Lindor, in the three-game series that Boston played in Cleveland, I don't know if I've seen anyone play shortstop better this year than Lindor did in those three games. Mm-hmm. He was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, he made some just eye-popping plays. And he makes it look so easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember there was a, a one-hot bullet hit at him that he sort of went backwards on on the backhand, spun to his right side, his throwing hand, and just threw across, yeah. casually as can be. Uh, and there might only be three shortstops in the league who could make that play, and none of them could make it look that easy. Right. Uh, so he's wonderful. Ramirez probably did it a little more with the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are your contenders in the AL, and, and I just think Betts, uh, not only did he have a better season than Trout, in my mind, uh, but, and I know we're not supposed to do this, <laughs> uh, but he played for a winner. And Trout played for a loser. Right. And, and I think right. the numbers are so close, whether it be in terms of war or their stat lines, that this is one time where the voters might look and say, they're pretty much the same player. One of them played for a winner. One of them played for a loser. So we're going to vote for the winner. Well, this is the age old. Is it MVP, most valuable player, or most outstanding player? Right. You know, and there, there's no rule here. I mean, you can vote the way you feel. Uh, and, you know, I think typically... Um, if if a player is uh, on a winning team and you take that player off and you don't think that team is going to be as good or compete at such a high level, then that's a very valuable player. Correct. And with Mike Trout, who, who you know individually is a fantastic player, and I would draft him ten out of ten times if I could. Uh, the fact is, you're right. He played for the L.A. Angels this year. The L.A. Angels in the American League West ended with a uh, record of eighty and. Uh, 82 and uh, so if you take him and you know fourth place uh, one two three fourth place in the uh, in the American League West so yeah so if you take him off that off that team so they go from fourth to fifth maybe you know it's it's not it's not that big of a deal and, and you're not supposed to penalize him for that and I understand that uh, I get it um, and if he was so clearly better than, than bats or the rest of the field, I wouldn't. Sure. I'd vote yeah, for oh, yeah, obviously. Um, but yeah. the fact that it's even close and, mm-hmm. and that Betts is, according to War, wins above replacement is actually better than Trout this right. year, uh, he has to get your vote. He he just does. It's, mm-hmm. it's his time to win it. Uh, he's a worthy winner. Uh, and regardless of what the Red Sox have done winning 108 games, Betts has been the best player in baseball this year. Absolutely. Uh, so I think we're on the same page there. Um, what about the American League Cy Young Award winner? Now, um, I, I think that we could have made a case for Chris Sale for much of this season, but uh, you know he at the end here has not really pitched enough, and and part of that was by design, and part of it was obviously they had some health concerns with him. But I don't think as good as he is, 
I don't think that he deserves the Cy Young this year. There, there were two guys for me who fell in that category: Chris Sale and Trevor Bauer. Mm. Um, you know, two guys who Sale since July 27th really hasn't worked very much, uh, and Bauer since the beginning of August when he got hit by a line drive and fractured his right ankle really hasn't worked very much. Um, what those guys did do while they pitched was phenomenal. Uh, you look at Sale's final line; he only threw 158 innings, which is only third best on the Red Sox, gave up 102 hits in 158 innings, hmm. struck out 237. That's 13.5 per nine. So to put that in, in context, Chris Sale throws a nine-inning completes game. He'll strike out half the batters. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal for a starter sure. to say that. Um, there were only two guys on the Red Sox staff who struck out more batters per nine, Craig Kimball and, and Matt Barnes. They're both relievers. They're both max effort guys, right. both out there trying to blow everybody away. And, and Chris Sale just did it over twice as many innings. Uh, I mean, he, he's phenomenal. Uh, but didn't do enough work this year. And, and I think... Bauer falls into the same category. They they might have been the best pitchers in the American League, but you're going to have to give value to other guys who are able to get to and exceed 200 innings. Uh, so you're looking at someone like Blake Snell in Tampa, uh, Justin Verlander in Houston, um, Corey Kluber in Cleveland. If, right. if you want to look at him, he's sort of an, an annual contender for the Cy Young. Uh, for me, I would probably vote for Blake Snell. Um, I think he was good enough. I, I know that we don't discuss wins anymore, hmm. um, you know, because those aren't any real indication, and, and we'll reveal why when we go into the National League Cy Young discussion. Um, <laughs> but I think Snell was was good enough across the board. He was second in the majors in earn run average among qualifiers. Uh, he was seventh in strikeouts per nine at an even eleven. Um, innings pitched, he, he did enough. And, and in terms of strikeouts, I think he did enough. He tied for 10th overall. He had 221 strikeouts this year. Um, I just think he was excellent. I, I think if you were an American League hitter, Blake Snell might have been the most uncomfortable at bat for you. Uh, just that combination of power fastball and hammer curveball, he, he was outstanding. And I know he's someone who Alex Cora singled out multiple times leading into the All-Star game when he wasn't initially selected. Uh, felt like he was one of the toughest guys Boston faced this year. And then you just carry that into what he did in the second half. He was even better. Uh, so I feel like he's probably the guy to win the Cy Young Award in the American League. Well, I think that uh, he certainly makes a strong case, and he may may well walk away with it. Uh, I would uh, I would try and advocate for the candidacy of Justin Verlander, though, and I, I think part of it's got to do with what we were just talking about, and that is, you know, sometimes if you got two guys who are pretty close, you go with the winner, and not that not that uh, the the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, <coughs> excuse me, had a, a bad year because they certainly surprised a lot of people. But the Houston Astros had a great year. They, they won 103 games, uh, defending world champs. And 35-year-old Justin Verlander, 16-9, um, 2.5 ERA, 290 strikeouts, um, you know, and led the league in, uh, I believe it was uh, strikeout to walk. Uh, yes, he did. And uh, has, you know, hasn't walked many batters uh, all year long. Uh, and the other thing about Verlander is he scares me in the postseason. Yeah, you know. And now Blake Snell may as well, but we just haven't seen that yet, That's right. right? But when you see Justin Verlander take the mound against your team in the postseason, you know you're in for it. Now I know the Red Sox have had 
have faced him before when he was with Detroit in the postseason. Uh, but boy, he is a real just workhorse. Um, and to me, I think that uh, that he deserves the, the Cy Young this year. But maybe it's just you know I'm an older guy, and hey, give it to the old guy. No, no, no. The <laughs> the, the arguments for Verlander are well founded. Uh, he's fourth in innings pitched, which means that the numbers that he put up in terms of strikeouts to walk, in terms of strikeouts, in terms of WHIP, which he led the, he led the major leagues at .90 this year. He did it over more innings than most guys did, mm-hmm. uh, which means he was a better pitcher than most guys were. Uh, his 290 strikeouts led the American League. Uh, the strikeouts to walk, as you mentioned, 7.84 strikeouts to walk, which he walked 37 batters in 214 innings for a power pitcher. Yeah. That's generally not something that you see. That that sort of command you know, harkens back to someone like Pedro Martinez when he was in Boston and had a couple seasons of 300 strikeouts and 30 walks. Right. Um, right. You know, or someone like Kurt Schilling, who was a 300 strikeout, 30 something walk guy. Um, it's it's got to be a nightmare for a hitter to know that this guy isn't going to give me a gift, and when he does throw it in the strike zone, I'm not going to have much of a chance at that either. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, so Verlander definitely falls in that category, and I, I think this year is just an extension of what he did last year with Houston after he was traded to them uh, during the waiver trade deadline. Right, right. Uh, so moving on, uh, let's look at the Rookie of the Year candidates. And um, at one point this season, uh, you could mention sort of uh, Gleyber Torres from the Yankees uh, was in the discussion, but he his second half was not that good. Uh, so I, th- I think um, we're talking more about uh, Miguel Andujar and uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, is that, am I missing somebody? Is there someone else that uh, rises to that level, you think? The, the only other guy who you could get into this discussion would probably be Joey Wendell from Tampa. He okay. had a really good September, and, and his final numbers are good. But I think the, the two principal candidates are Miguel Andujar and, and Shohei Otani. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, Otani was the talk of baseball before the season started here because he was a pitcher and a power hitter. Do you have his numbers in front of you as a uh, as a hitter? Because he did pretty well at the plate, uh, and he did pretty well on the mound, and then he got hurt. Uh, I do. His numbers at the plate actually surprised me. They they were better than I thought. This is probably a little East Coast bias on, on my part. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and also the fact that the Angels really weren't in contention uh, throughout the year. Right, and they play most of their games after we're sort of getting getting ready for bed, so right. we just don't see them. But but at the plate, uh, he was very good. Uh, 104 games, 21 doubles, 22 home runs, a 925 OPS, which is very strong uh, mm-hmm. in, in this era. Um, you know, was was very good. Did damage at the plate, which is you know what you want to see. Now, he struck out in about a third of his plate appearances. 102 mm-hmm. strikeouts in, in 367 plate appearances, which makes him very much a modern player, yeah. a sort of all or nothing player. Uh, on the mound, made 10 starts through 51 innings. Was tough to hit. Only 38 hits allowed. Um, 1.16 whip, which is pretty good. 11 strikeouts per nine, which is very good. Um, but you didn't see a lot there. And obviously, he's undergone Tommy John surgery today, uh, I think it was. And mm-hmm. you wonder how much that's going to hinder him next year. Uh, he certainly will not be pitching. Um, will he be able to hit? We don't know that. I don't know that medically. Um, but 
I would probably value Andujar more um, just because of the consistency that he gave the Yankees. This was a guy who, he's an international free agent from the Dominican Republic, uh, another one of the Yankees' homegrown talents who, coming into the year, wasn't really in the picture. They had Brandon Drury, who they got in a three-team trade from Arizona, someone who had played 130, 140 games each of the last two years, uh, is a mid-20s guy, and, and the Yankees probably looked at him as someone who could be a future piece for them at third base. He got hurt very early on. He got stuck in AAA, and Andujar started hitting and didn't stop. Mm. Um, you look at 47 doubles, which is a franchise record. He broke Joe DiMaggio's previous record for doubles by a rookie. 27 home runs and 855 OPS really did damage at third base um, and fit right into that lineup. And and you look at the Yankees, the way they're set up now with Andujar and Glaber Torres and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, so young, so talented, uh, a lineup that is going to really be a problem for teams for years to come. Yeah, and if you're a Red Sox fan, it... Um you know that means you're probably going to have several years of really good Red Sox Yankees rivalries because you know Red Sox have a few few good young guys too. Sure, they, they may have to you know uh, sign a few of them soon. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I would agree with you. I think Andujar gets gets the nod, and it's really uh, probably because I'm more familiar with him, having seen him more uh, when the Red Sox play the Yankees, um, and the fact that uh, Otani obviously went out with an injury, but. He he was really I mean of the few times that I saw him play Otani he was he was amazing to watch because he didn't obviously he didn't look like a pitcher trying to hit he was a legit hitter up there no question he yeah. he's a legitimate two way threat yep. you wonder what the injury means for him going forward as a hitter yeah how ambitious the Angels will be in terms of trying to allow him to continue to do this mm. um, because it's it's unprecedented in the modern game it's something that no one has really tried in Major League Baseball, and, and it would stand to reason that physically how difficult it is just to play one position, right. how much can his body handle going forward trying to play two positions? Uh, so uh, we are pushing a record time here for the Twin Bills podcast, so we're going to wrap it up by touching on the last category here. We'll just, we'll just stick to the American League today, and that is manager of the year. Now, if you're a Red Sox fan, you're going to say, well, it's Alex Cora, right? But... Um, Alex Cora and probably uh, the manager of the Yankees and the manager of some other big market teams that tend to be successful usually have to uh, they have to kind of overcome a bias, don't they? Um, because they're supposed to win. They're That's supposed right. to be successful. So uh, as good as the Red Sox were this year, 108 victories, a uh, new franchise record going into the postseason, um, it's probably going to be somebody who overachieved, and I would say the person that overachieved the most in the American League, I would say, is Bob Melvin of the A's. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the the manager of the year has sort of become the overachiever award. Uh, you look at Alex Cora and you say, well, he's got this huge payroll. He's got you know these stud players. He's supposed to win. Mm. He just did what he's supposed to do. Now he did it on a fantastic level, a, a franchise record level. Um, you know, but it's it's something that he'll be penalized for in the voting, and something that will be used 
to bolster Melvin's candidacy because the A's had the lowest payroll in the league. Right. You look at Melvin and say, how could he win 97 games with some of these guys who have been cast off from other teams, with his pitching staff being so hurt, uh, without really the luxury of adding a high-priced guy at the trade deadline? They added some rentals, for sure, who have helped them a lot. But sure. you know they haven't been able to go out and trade for somebody who might have had contract tenure, mm. You know, somebody like... Uh, you know, who might have two or three years left on a deal at a high price yeah. and, and sort of cash in on some of their prospects. Um, so I feel like Melvin will win it. I think Cora would certainly be a worthy winner. Um, what he's done in Boston and, and to listen to how the players speak about him, uh, calling him our leader. And, you know, Bogarts the other day said he loved him, mm. um, you know, and that he respects him and that he'd do anything that he says. Uh, generally, professional athletes, you, you don't hear that kind of stuff. Right. And especially not um, with a first year coach or manager. Um, you know, that, that tends to build over time. Mm. You know, someone like Bill Belichick. Over time, you might have someone who plays for Bill Belichick for eight or ten years, and, and they'll come out and say, he's the smartest, not just the smartest coach I've ever met, the smartest person I've ever met. And you say, well, that sounds ridiculous, but you've played for him for eight or ten yeah, years. Yeah, you you know. probably know. Yeah. Uh, you know. You hear Celtics players talk about Brad Stevens, and they say he's a genius. Al Horford says he's a genius. You know, He could probably write computer programs and fly planes, for all I know. Um, so I think Cora has had a huge impact on the Red Sox. Uh, I would have no issue voting for him or if he were the winner. Uh, but just knowing the electorate and, and sort of the, the mindset that they take into this sort of thing in 2018, it is very much an overachiever award. And, and for that reason, I do think that Bob Melvin will win it. Um and probably a uh, honorable mention should go to Kevin Cash for what he did down in Tampa Bay, even though you know they're not in the postseason. Um, for them to turn around uh, or, or to have the season that they had, uh, they ended up with uh, 90 wins, obviously didn't make uh, the playoffs, but uh, an unconventional route to, to 90 wins. Yeah, using the opener, um, yeah. not necessarily having starting pitching as we would think of it, mm-hmm. um, but you look at cash in terms of player development, he could have the Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell, who was a talented guy, no question, but who has exploded to start him here. Right. Uh, he's going to have a top five vote getter in the Rookie of the Year award race in Joey Wendell. Um, you know, he's got a few other young arms, like whether it be Jose Alvarado or Yanni Chirinos uh, or Ryan Yarbrough, who all had very good seasons. Um, you know, and guys who. He's sort of shepherded through unconventional roles and and gotten good performances out of. Um, And I think that that's always your lot in life when you're managing Tampa. It's going to be a little unconventional. Your team's probably going to be a little bit inexperienced. You're probably going to make a trade in June or July that (laughs) upsets your roster that you really don't like. Tampa had all of those things and still managed not only to play well, but to finish as well as they did the last 45, 50 games of the year, uh, I can't imagine that there were any postseason managers who would have liked to have seen them in a short series. No, absolutely not. And, and uh, you know, just their luck. They happened to do it in a season in which two of your uh – you know, two of the teams in your own division win at least a hundred games, <laughs> which is unbelievable. It's crazy, right? But it doesn't take away from what Kevin Cash did down in Tampa Bay. So, uh, so I think with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Twin Bills. Uh, we have a busy week of playoff baseball, uh, and the Red Sox will uh, sit back and 
watch Wednesday night's game to see who their next opponent will be. Uh, in the meantime, Bill, have a good week off, so to speak, and uh, we will do this again uh, next week. Next week? Uh, maybe this week. Prior to the ALDS, <laughs> I think we got to give the people we'll what do, they we'll want. We'll do one more. We'll do one more preview this week. How once, about that? Once we have a uh, a winner there, I, right. I think Thursday we might be able to try and do that, this. That's a good point by you. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out how to uh, reconvene before our first pitch on uh, on Friday night. So until then, very good. All right.